I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you and may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. The grass withers and the flower and the flowers fade, but the Lord of our God abides forever. Will you pray with me now? Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for King David, um, who wrote this, who, under, under your influence, that we can hear it, that we can be encouraged by it, and that we can learn from it. Lord, I pray now that uh, as we go, um, Lord, that you get me out of the way, and that we can focus uh, solely on what you have to say with us, solely on what you would have to teach us uh, from this psalm. It is in your son's precious and holy name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So I was, I was reading an article the other day. And I came across uh, the name Colin O'Brady. Um, some of you may have heard that name recently. He, um, in late December last year, um, he became the first man ever to cross, the, cross Antarctica solo, unaided, unassisted, no uh, snowmobile, nothing, uh, solely under his own power. Um, he, he was the first man ever to make the near 1,000-mile trip uh, across Antarctica, um, which is a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. Many people have tried before. No one has ever succeeded. Um, there have been groups who've gone, who've traveled together. There's been groups who've gone who have gotten like air support that people drop in, like care packages and whatnot. But no one has done it solo. Um, the the trip itself, he's like during the day to day of the trip, he uh, he often faced 60 uh, mile per hour winds, like almost daily. Uh, he faced snowstorms almost daily, uh, and almost daily he faced uh, temperatures that dropped 16, 16 degrees below zero, like on a regular basis. Um, you think it's cold outside now? 
Like, just imagine 16 degrees below. Um, school gets canceled, right? Um, it's just, it's, it's done. Um, he's, he's achieved these incredible things, and they've all, and he, all, all the while, um, is, this is a product of his intense training, um, of extreme dedication, um, and his ability to pull a 400-pound sled uh, behind him for, you know, a thousand miles, just full of food and gear for the trip. Um, this is not the only record that Colin O'Brady has achieved, though. Um, he is a part of a small uh, a wilderness, uh, wilderness explorers group. It has no name. It's just called the Wilderness Explorers Group um, of less than 50 people. Um, these 50 people, these less than 50 people um, in this group can say that they've completed something called the Explorers Grand Slam. Um, what that is is they um, are people who have climbed the seven highest summits are the seven tallest mountains on each of the seven continents. And then they also skied, like land skied, the last two miles to the North Pole by themselves, like solo. Um, this is an intense group of people. Um, Colin O'Brady dwarfs all of them, though, because he holds the record for doing it the fastest. 139 days. He managed to climb the seven, uh, the seven tallest mountains on each continent uh, in 139 days. And here's the kicker. He could have done it faster but it was also setting another record of climbing the seven tallest summits, like period, um, during the same trip, which took him 132 days. So he climbed multiple mountains on each continent to achieve both records in one trip. Um, it, this is an incredible achievement, but what he holds as his greatest achievement is his first ever solo trek across Antarctica. He says the other achievements pale in comparison because people have done that. People have done the Explorer's Grand Slam. People have climbed all seven summits. But no one has done what he did when he did it. So my question this morning is, what would drive him to do such things? What he's done is, he, take, he takes immense risk with his life to do what he he's just completed. Right? He took immense risk to do this. Um, he sacrificed so much. He's married. He sacrificed months with, away from his wife to do this, to, to trek across Antarctica by himself. The only contact he had with the outside world was a satellite phone that could, he could post to Instagram, because that's a thing. Um, and they, and, but he was by himself with no one else in the wilderness for months to accomplish something that no one else has accomplished. What would drive a man to do such a thing? What, what is it? Well, I'd like to posit an answer. Um, I think what he does what he does. I think Colin O'Brady did what he did because he enjoys it. Simple joy. That's why he would risk everything. He enjoys the, he enjoys the risk. He enjoys the high of pushing his body to its uh, outmost limits. He enjoys the accolades that he gets, that he, that he receives when he gets out of, uh, out of Antarctica. He's going to be you know, ushered around. He's going to meet Donald Trump and, and all this other stuff. He's going to meet world leaders, and he's going to have speaking engagements where he can re- uh, retell his, his stories. He enjoys it. He enjoys it, and that's what drives him to do what he does. That is why he risks everything, he suffers, he struggles, um, simply to experience something that brings him supreme joy. His supreme joy brought about the dedication to train. He didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to do the Explorer's Grand Slam. No, he he spent months and months of preparing for these things. He spent months and months uh, of, of... intense workouts in the gym to put on 20 pounds of muscle just so he could pull his sled for this Antarctica expedition. It took extreme dedication. He struggled and he suffered, but because he knew there was joy at the end. 
So I ask you this morning, what brings you joy? What is it that you, you would do to, what, what is it that you would sacrifice everything else to do? What is it that brings you your utmost joy, your supreme joy um, that you would sacrifice almost anything for? Our text this morning uh, is written by King David. And early in King David's life, um, he is willing to sacrifice and does sacrifice almost everything he has to, for, to satisfy his lust for Bathsheba. It's a story you all know well. King David, who's supposed to be off to war, um, doesn't go off to war. And he sees a woman bathing on the roof and he must have her. And so he brings her in. And as king, uh, he, uh, he you know, does what he does. And uh, he sacrifices everything he has, his kingdom, his honor, his righteousness, to satisfy his lust for Bathsheba. And doing so sent shockwaves throughout the rest of his life. He had to... He had to Follow through with some more heinous sin, murdering Bathsheba's husband. He had to follow through with more heinous sin to cover that original sin. God gives his children over to the same type of lust that consumed David. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, as he's uh, accusing David of this, this sin and David repents, like he, he says, the sword will never depart from your house because of what you've done. You know, a few fleeting moments of sexual satisfaction for David led to years and years of interpersonal turmoil. His sons chased him off the throne. They tried to kill him. They tried to take his crown. Um, and it was, all, uh, it was all a consequence of David trying to pursue his supreme joy apart from God. David had to reap those consequences for years, even after he repented. He still had to, to reap those consequences. It's kind of like a child who you've told not to touch a hot stove. They touch the stove and they immediately regret it. They're immediately repentant, right? They, they, the tears come on real fast. But no matter how much they repent of that, of that sin of disobedience, that, that touching of the hot stove, they still have to nurse the burn, right? They still have to, to go through the steps of Neosporin and aloe vera and everything else and the, and the tears that are associated with the burn. That, that he still had to face the consequences of those actions, and David, like a child trying to nurse a burn for the rest of his life, he realized, hey, this is because I found my joy in the wrong place. And once he realized that, he then writes these beautiful psalms that tell us about how he only finds his joy in the Lord now. He only finds his joy in the Lord. At the start of the, the psalm, we actually read a little bit about David's predicament. Um, he's coming from a place where he's been meditating on his salvation if you, if you read it, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined His ear to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. He was in a pit of destruction. He was, he was done for. His life, his life was over, but God saves him. And as we, if we keep reading in verse 12, we actually David reveals that his troubles have continued. He says, Evils have encompassed me beyond number that his iniquities have overtaken him, that there are, people, uh, there are people that are seeking his life, seeking to take his life to kill him, that there are those who delight in his pain, that those who laugh at his misfortune. Like his troubles are continuing, and yet he's still able to sing praise to God and put his trust in God, find his joy in God, even in the midst of all that trouble. Even in the midst of all that, he knows that God is the source of his joy, of his comfort, of his love. And so, and so David latches on to that and holds on to that tightly. And even, 
even in the face of some of the, some things we just can't understand because we, we will never experience them. David says, I will put my trust in the Lord. I will have joy in the Lord. In verse 8, uh, I think he says it almost explicitly. He says, I delight to do your will, O my God. And then he continues, I have not hidden your deliverance from my, within my heart. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. He cries out in joy knowing that God is good, that God is for him. And that when it pleases him, when it pleases God, and when it produces the most faith in David, God's going to rescue him again. That God won't hold back his blessings. God's, uh, David's not being presumptuous. When I first read this, I was like, man, David seems kind of like a presumptuous guy to say, oh, God's not going to withhold um, his favor from me. He's not, he, he's, he's not being presumptuous when he says, oh, Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He's not, he's not just assuming that God's going to do something. No, he's, he's saying that with confident anticipation. With confident anticipation, he knows that God will be there for him, who will rescue him uh, again from the bog, who will rescue him again from the pit that he has found himself in. You know, it's kind of like how a dog waits for his master around like 530 if you, if you stay home, like my dog, when I worked from home before we got our office space, I'd be doing my work. And around 5.45 is when Rebecca gets home. And what happens is around that time, Oliver, our dog, starts getting a little anxious. And he starts sitting right there by the door, right, at the, right on the couch. He starts looking out the front window, waiting, wondering when her car is going to come by. And then as soon as he sees her car or hears her car, uh, he, I mean, he just goes nuts. But before that, he's waiting with confident anticipation. He knows that she's coming home. He knows she's coming home. And so he's waiting with this confident anticipation, knowing that, that soon his master is going to walk through that door, he's going to greet him, save him from his loneliness that's, that is just sitting there in the office with me as I do my work. Um, and David, like, that, like Oliver, is, is waiting, is supremely confident in his waiting that the Lord will come. That God will come and will save him from his enemies and will save him from his continued sin. I ask you this, are you that confident? Are we that confident as David is confident? Have we seen God uh, work in our lives as he's worked in David's life? Asked a little bit better, I think. Is we can ask this, do you know that if you have faith in Christ, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian... That God has done in your life what he's done in David's life? Do you know that? Because it's true. Maybe not in a physical sense. It's not, it's not that it's a, the same physical sense. David had a pretty dramatic, uh, dramatic childhood and young adulthood, right? And it was pretty dramatic. Like the king of his country was trying to kill him. He had to like sleep in caves. He did this like weird thing where he like showed Saul that he could have killed him, but then didn't kill him. It was like it's it's kind of nuts what what went through uh, what David had to go through. And sure, we don't go through that kind of uh, that kind of thing uh, in today's world. That's just because of God's blessing that we don't have to worry about all that. But David went through some pretty dramatic stuff. But we've, in the same sense, have been given faith. By God, and He has pulled us from the pit of destruction that is our sin, that is our iniquity. He has pulled us from the the miry bog that is our own uh, idol making hearts. God has done that for you, just like He did for David. You know, this psalm isn't just about the external the external forces that are pushing against David. 
I don't know if you caught it, it's just as much about his own sinfulness as it is about those external forces. Uh, David says, My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. I'm blind. Why is, it, why is it that I'm blind to see your goodness? Because I sin so much. My iniquities have overtaken me. He says, My heart fails me. Why, why has David's heart failed him? Well, it's because his iniquities are more than the hairs of his head. His iniquities are more, are, are more numerous than the hairs of his head. And brothers and sisters in Christ, like that's our condition. That's our condition as well. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. We are hopeless. We need, we need Him. We need God to, to come and to save us and to rescue us from the pit, to rescue us from the bog that is our own iniquity, that is our own sin. And if you believe in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, He's done that. And so we can sing with David the same song that he sings in Psalm 40 here, that God will rescue him, that God will rescue us, and that the Lord will not restrain his mercy from us. What's more, David didn't have the benefit of seeing most of the history of salvation played out. Like, we, we get that, right? We see how God, is, God has saved his people. We've, we have the, the full picture of Christ on the cross for us. We see that, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful gift that we have. But David didn't have that. He just had types and shadows. He had a promise of a future reality. We actually have the reality. And sure, we, we wait with bated breath for the second coming. Like That's something we should be excited about. And we should have the same confident anticipation that David has here for the coming Lord. That uh, we should have the same confident expect- anticipation for the second coming. But David just had promises. We have promises and realities. And so as David faced down the wickedness of his own heart and the potential destruction of his life, he knew that only one person could save him. Only one could save him. Only one could provide him with unending joy. And so he sings praise to God. You know, he had tasted the joy that the world had offered him. He was a king. He could have had whatever he wanted. He probably had a cushier life than us, even though we have, you know indoor plumbing and whatnot, but he probably had a cushier life than us because he was a king of a nation, surrounded by gold, women, food, booze, all that stuff. He had it. He tasted it and said, no, that's not for me. That's not worth it. It's not worth the pain that it ultimately brings. Give me God any day of the week. That's going to be my joy. That's going to be who I follow. That's the source of my comfort. That's the source of my peace. That's the source of my love and my joy. So, the question then becomes, how do we become like David? How do we become like David in his joy? How do we find our ultimate joy in Christ as David had his ultimate joy in God? Well, the first step that David gives us in the psalm is to marvel at the works of God. To marvel at the works of God. And yes, we're talking about creation. We, we hear that phrase, marvel at the works of God. We probably instantly think about, think about creation. Think about you know, this beautiful day that God has given us. Think about the mountains and the stars and the moon and the, star, and the sun and all that stuff. Um, and that is true. And I actually recommend you to go check out a video on YouTube by a guy named Louis Giglio. Um, I don't agree with everything he says, but this video is awesome. Just type in Louis Giglio laminin. Um, and he kind of goes through like some of these amazing things, these you know coincidences that God has put within creation that just points to how great and amazing He is, and we can marvel at those things. Um, 
But specifically, marvel at the works that God has done in your own life. Marvel at the work that God has done in your life. Recognize that we have a need for Him. That's what David does. This entire psalm comes from a place of David meditating on his past salvation. Meditating on God rescuing him from this past pit, this past miry bog. Right? That's, that's, what David, that's how David starts this psalm. You've rescued me from this bog, this place where I cannot stand, this place where I'm sinking, sinking down, and yet you've now put me on a firm rock. You've made my, my, my feet secure, my steps secure. And you've put a new song in my mouth. He says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare to you. None can compare with you. So it's, it's not necessarily just that God made everything, which in and of itself is something we should marvel at, marvel at daily, right? We should, we should be in awe of God for what He's created. But that He has multiplied His thoughts toward us. That He's given us salvation. He has given us joy. He has given us peace. He's given us a way to combat the evils of this world. And it's only because David realizes that this, he realizes his own situation, he realizes how miserable and wicked he is, that he sees how great a gift it is that God has given him. He sees his situation honestly. He honestly looks at his situation and says, Man, what a sinner I am. And then he looks at that and then he turns and he sees God offering his free grace and he can't help but sing. He can't help but worship God because of it. He can't help but praise God even in the hardest of circumstances because he sees how good and how majestic and wonderful and joyful that gift that God has given us is. So that's the first step. The first step is recognizing our sin in relation to the gift that God has given us. The second step that David kind of gives us to experience God's joy is to share that joy with others. To share, to share our experiences with others. You know, we do this naturally with other things in our lives, right? We naturally share our joy with other people for a myriad of things. Think about it. If, we, if you go see a movie and you really enjoy that movie, it's a great movie, uh, and like before you're even out of the theater, you're already on your phone texting your buddy saying, hey, like, you need to go see this movie. I want to talk to you about it. Go see it. It's great. Like you, you naturally share something that brings you joy with others. Same thing with book. You finish a book that like, you really enjoyed, that you know, changed your life, that opened your eyes to things. If it was like a library book, you might go out and purchase it just so you can put it in your library and recommend it to others. If it was a book you, you had already bought, you know, it doesn't go in like the bottom corner of your bookshelf that's like hidden by the lip of your, your bookshelf. Like that, you don't do that. You put it like smack dab in the middle, like at eye level, so you can point it out to your friends and say, hey, you need to go read that book. This, this one changed my life. It will bring you joy. We do that naturally, right? We do that, we do that with anything we find interesting or exciting, anything that brings us joy, makes us happy. We do that naturally. Why don't we do that with God more? Why don't we do that with the things that God has done in our lives? Why aren't we celebrating Him more with others? Why aren't we sharing the joy that we have in God with other people? You know, God is at work constantly in our lives, even when we're not thinking about it. A few scenarios might be, you know, a bonus comes at work right as like a new unexplained financial burden pops up. 
and they, somehow you get you get a little bonus, a little extra money from work, or you get an extra opportunity to do something that's going to bring you money to help pay for whatever burden it is over here. Or maybe it's you accomplish something that you've spent uh, months or weeks or years or whatever it is. You've, you've planned something and you finally accomplish it. I mean, you can praise the Lord for that. You know, you accomplish some long-term goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Great, you accomplished it. Praise the Lord that He gave me the opportunity to do that. Your kid brings home straight A's. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. You pass with a C. You offered students. Uh, it's probably got me in Hebrew. Like, you pass with a C. Praise the Lord. God lets you pass that class. That's amazing. Like, we can celebrate what God is doing in our lives. That God is, is consistently helping us. Who's consistently there for us. Consistently doing things in our lives. Enabling us to love others. To do things that we like to do. To, to find joy. To find peace. To find comfort. We praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that He's done those things for us. And here's the deal. As, we, as praise becomes a more natural posture for us in life's ups, right? As, as, as when things are going right and you're, praising the, and you're praising God for those things more consistently, well, it becomes a more natural posture in life's downs too. I believe that the reason David can, can sing praise like he's doing here in Psalm 40, despite people trying to kill him, despite him being blinded by his own sin, is because he spent so much time praising God for the good times. When praise is your natural posture during life's ups, it becomes your natural posture for life's downs too. And then something, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not saying you can't find joy in other things. I want to stop and make this caveat. You can find joy in other things, right? And it's okay. It's good to find joy in other things. Like finding joy in your family. Finding joy in your work, in your hobby, in movies, in books, all those things. Finding joy is good and, and like God has given us stuff that we can find joy in. But the thing is, is that when your supreme joy, when your ultimate joy, when, when the thing that is the source of your joy is God, all those other things really just turn and point you back to God. Right? When work goes well, it's, yay, I take joy in my work. Praise God that He's allowed me to have, have a job that I love. When your kid does well in school or does well in sports or whatever it is, man, praise God that He's enabled my kid to do this. It all turns back to God. It all becomes something we can praise God for. The result of this kind of praise and worship, the result of us finding joy in things and turning it back to God, praising God for His goodness is kind of twofold, right? First, it causes us to think more about God. And in turn, it, it makes us think more about Him and it stirs in our heart more passion, more joy for Him. It's this miraculous thing. As you talk about something, as you celebrate something, you find more to celebrate. Like the neg- and the, the reverse is true too. As you complain about something and you're negative about something, you find more to complain about, right? You all know this happens. Like it just kind of just snowball effect. It happens on both, on both sides of the spectrum. If you are singing God's praise and you're finding ways to celebrate God, to, to, to place your joy, place your trust in Him, that's a great thing and that's going to cause you to love Him more. Cause you to have more passion for Him, more joy for Him and for His works and for His will in your life. It leads you to praise Him even, even more. And there's a secondary effect of this, this step of sharing your experience with others is that they come to know the Lord, <laughs> right? 
That's the obvious step. Verse 3, David says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. People will hear how God is making you joyful and they will ask questions, right? Man, how are, like, how are you so happy even though your dog, how are you so joyful and content and at peace even though your dog just died and you're going bankrupt and like your kid hates you? Like, how can you do that? How can you find joy in that situation? Well, because God is the source of my joy. Because all these things, yes, while I can find joy in them and they matter to me and I have a heart and I'm, I'm sad because all these things are happening, I know God's at work doing something in my life that's going to be better than I can imagine. That's what God has done for us. That's what God is doing for us. And what happens is that makes you praise Him more. That makes you more joyful. That makes you, helps you find more joy in Him. But it also shows others that they can have that joy too. Like we have the ultimate source of joy. We found it. If you're a Christian, you found the ultimate source of joy in the world. The, the only thing that can satisfy what's missing in man's, in man's heart. We found it. And if that brings you joy, that should, we, we should be sharing that. We should be sharing it because that's going to bring them joy too. Despite how they respond at first, it's going to bring them joy too. Finally, the last step of how can we be joyful like David's joyful is that we become dedicated to God's cause. These things build on one another. Uh, like Colin O'Brady, he's dedicated to pushing his body to the limits, right? He's dedicated to, to accomplishing things no one else has accomplished, to transver- transversing Antarctica by himself. Um, he's dedicated to that, pushing his body to the limits because it brings him joy. Well, as you find more joy in God, something natural happens, you become dedicated to him more. And you enter into, the, I couldn't find a better term for it than this like joy cycle, right? You, it's kind of this whirlpool that just kind of sucks you further and further down the rabbit hole of joy and love and dedication. And as you find more joy in Him and you talk about Him more to others and you celebrate and praise God and you, and you uh, talk to your friends about what God is doing in your life and you find those things, you become more dedicated to Him. And as you become more dedicated to Him, you find more things that you can be joyful about. And as you become more joyful about it, you become more dedicated. And just joy begets dedication, begets joy, begets dedication, just over and over and over again. And you enter into this, this cycle that just helps, that just pushes you forward to God. And you see the gift that He's given you, and you, you can't help but sing more praises to Him. You can't help but appreciate the gift that He's given to you. And you, and you appreciate it more, and you, draw, you grow in dedication to Him in the pursuit of that joy, just like Colin grew in his pursuit of doing crazy things. Like I said earlier, he didn't just wake up at 13 and say, hey, I'm going to do the, the Explorer's Grand Slam. That probably wasn't a thought to him. But he did wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go check out the, the woods in my backyard. I'm going to go do this. I'm going I'm to go do... And as he explored his love for the outdoors, as he explored the, the love of taking risks, of climbing trees, of, of climbing up rock faces and those things, as he explored that joy more and more, he became more and more dedicated to it. More and more willing and more and more desirous of, of risking everything he had to experience the joy of completing something so amazing. And that's what we're called to do with Christ. To recognize 
recognize how He's done a work in our lives, to recognize our situation apart from Him and celebrate that good gift that He's given us, that grace that He's given us. To celebrate that, find joy in it. And as we find joy in it, we talk about it. As we talk about it, we become more dedicated to it. Look, last thing, and we're done. I'm not naive enough to think that the entire Christian life is nothing but joy. Right? We've all faced hardship. We've all faced pain. We've all faced suffering in this life. We've lost loved ones. We've, we've experienced pain. We've experienced failure. The Christian life is not joy all the time. You're going, there's going to be moments of sadness. Think about it. Christ calls you to pick up your cross and follow me. Like, while in a sense that's like one of the most joyful calls ever, that we're like that dedicated to God, we find so much dedication to Jesus that we're willing to do that. So there's an uh, inherent joy there. That's a, painful, that's a painful call. And there's going to be sadness. There's going to be suffering uh, in, in, that, in that call. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Colin O'Brady, again, he, he found joy in every suffering step. Like, I'm sure 500 miles into this guy's journey, every step was not, not a joyful step. He's carrying 400 pounds of gear and food on his back, probably like 250 at that point. But he, he was still dragging this thing across Antarctica by himself months into his trip. His steps were, his steps were a struggle. His steps were suffering. But even in that suffering, even in that pain, there was still joy. There was still joy because he knew, he knew what waited for him at the end. He knew what waited for him at the end. And brothers and sisters, our joy is so much greater than that. Our reward is so much greater than what Colin O'Brady got for completing this trek across Antarctica. It's worth it. The struggle, the pain... It's worth it because we experience the joy that Christ gives us. So I ask you this morning in closing, are you finding your joy in Christ? Are you truly finding your joy in Christ? Your joy in Him who saved you? And are you singing His praise even in the toughest moments of life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this time that You've given us to sing Your praise, to hear Your Word. Um, to experience Your joy, Lord. I pray that as we um, go now about our weeks, as we uh, are going to sing here in a second, as we are going to take the Lord's Supper here in a second, Lord, I pray that we can experience Your joy in a real tangible way. That these aren't just ritualistic things that we do. We read earlier, we didn't touch on it, but we read earlier that you're not, you, you don't require ritual and sacrifice. No, no, no. You require songs of praise and joy. Lord, thank You for making that. Thank you for making that our call. It is in your son's precious and holy name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.